Exploring the natural world, one podcast episode at a time. This is For What It's Earth. Hi all, and thank you for joining me for another episode of For What It's Earth by me, Marissa Jacobs of the Art of Ecology. And here, nature enthusiasts, animal lovers, and eco-warriors can all explore so many facets of the environment that we all love, as well as some creative ways to make a positive difference for the planet. And as you know, in season four, I'm combining the things that I love most, the nature aspects and the artistic aspects by talking with some artists from all over the United States who share their insights into their creative processes, as well as how they gain inspiration from the natural world. So this week, I am joined by Michelle, who is a fellow artist and also a naturalist, outdoorsy sort of individual. And I discovered her on Instagram. She hosts a couple of art challenges that I have been very excited about. So I wanted to chat with her about her work with art. So Michelle, welcome. Thank you. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about how you have kind of used illustration as a medium, um, comparing that to other mediums, like what got you into illustration rather than painting or photography? Yeah, um, I'll try not to ramble on this too much because it's not a straight line. Okay. <laughs> um, so as a kid, I didn't draw much. I was really interested in music. Um, so any spare time was spent practicing piano and trumpet and singing oh, in cool. choir. And drawing was just never something that was encouraged at home. Not, not that it was discouraged. It just right. wasn't something that I knew that it, everybody could do. I thought, you know, you had to be born able to do it. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so it wasn't something that I really focused in, focused on. So when I got to college, I had to take an art class as, you know, an undergrad requirement. So I took pottery because I thought, oh, this will be easy and I'm going to get an A and at the end of the semester, I'm going to have a set of dishes, right? There you go. And if you've ever taken pottery, <laughs> you know, none of that happened. <laughs> um, but I really got into it. Um, so I continued to take those classes every semester. And then when I graduated, I continued to take a, you know, pottery classes at community centers and finally got a wheel and a kiln and oh, cool. continued it as a really serious hobby while I worked my day job. I'd go home at night, make pots, sell them on the weekend at local craft fairs and such um, while I continued to work. And then I think it's about 15 years ago, I had just burnout from my job. So I quit. There you <laughs> <And> go. <laughs> went back to college um, in my late 30s and with the intent that I would get a degree in ceramics and teach it at the university level. Um, That's so cool. Yeah, it was it was a really great experience, very educational. I learned that college age students are very volatile yes. <laughs> and it wasn't really a, an environment that I wanted to make a career in, <laughs> but I still pursued the degree. I got a fine arts degree in sculpture Oh, cool. and, you know, I did had I had to take drawing classes and painting classes, uh, but I never really felt that I was learning how to do drawing well. And so even after the degree, I felt a little bit like a fraud or, you know, imposter syndrome or whatever. Oh. Um, so after graduating, I decided I really need to learn to draw. 
Um, so I would take classes on creative bug and Skillshare because I could just do that in my own time online. And I really just found that I liked to draw uh, after 40 years of fearing it. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so it also just kind of fit into my lifestyle. I can draw in a small space. I can draw in a small amount of time, whereas setting up a sculpture studio or a ceramic studio is a big endeavor. Um, so we move a lot um, every few years. And so it's a lot easier to pack up a box of drawing supplies. Mm -hmm. um, and so it just has worked out over the last few years that that sort of became my focus. That's so cool. I love the the kind of river instead of a straight path that that people wind up taking just because nothing usually ever works out the way that we plan it to. No. <laughs> so I, I totally, totally can relate to that. But it's really encouraging that you still found what works for you. Yeah, it took a while. Um, <laughs> so I guess, you know, another lesson there is uh, whatever you were interested at the age of 10 might not be something that you do forever and continue to look for something that interests you as you as you get on in life yeah never stop learning that's something Absolutely. that my parents always told me because there's yeah, always something right. new and cool out there yep yeah oh that's fantastic so a lot of the pieces that I have seen of yours reflect the natural world that seems to be a subject that you at least share on Instagram a lot. Um, so what about the natural world kind of like captivates your your energy there? Well, I, you know, I'm interested in other subjects as well, mm -hmm. um, but I really felt because two-dimensional work was is relatively new to me. Um, and I'm, you know, putting in those pencil miles for drawing, mm -hmm. I really needed to narrow down to one subject. Um, so I did dabble um, a lot on Instagram challenges that I would find um, and, and kind of was all over the place, uh, trying out different things. And mm -hmm. really just, um, it turned out that nature journaling really resonated with me. I, I did try art journaling, standard art journaling, um, but I, I did that for a couple of years with a, a couple of different, um, online programs, but I it didn't, I felt really awkward sharing my feelings, you know, okay. um, online. And so I think it's really a great practice and I still do it a little bit. Um, but I don't share that as much because I don't know, I'm just, I'm like, I'm shy, as we've discussed, I'm an introvert, I'm shy. And so just like sharing like my anger, my angst uh, really wasn't what right. I wanted to share on Instagram. I really wanted it to be a positive space. So art journaling was really, um, or I'm sorry, nature journaling was really where I felt I fit in more. I've always loved being outside. I've always loved hiking and um, I've always loved animals. I, if I had to uh, go if I could go back in time and start over, I would probably be some sort of ologist of some type. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I kind of missed that and went a different direction. But I still am interested in all those things, and so nature journaling gives me the opportunity to learn to draw that subject and spend time outdoors learning more about it as well. That's really cool. So just for for my reference, as well as for anyone else's reference, is 
I have more of a science background and then I pulled in art later in life. Um, so what what is the difference between art journaling and nature journaling? Yeah, so art journaling, or at least what my experience with right. it is, is usually it's um, usually you would take your journal in, in a full spread. Um, so both sides of the pages make that one large spread. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to do that, but that's usually the format that I see. And you, a lot of people will just write on that spread first, uh, kind of like in a diary or a journal okay. format, and then cover that up with gesso or like a white paint background, and then paint over it, maybe use a lot of collage, um, a lot of mark making. And so you're really kind of getting your emotions out onto the page. And a lot of the times you would never know that there was journaling underneath all of the art right. that you see. Sometimes you let that show through. Um, but there's actually quite a robust community of art journal journalers on Instagram. Um, and you, you'll see some absolutely beautiful, stunning work um, that comes out of this. Um, and I think what actually kind of got me headed towards nature journaling is I took an art journaling course that was about, I think it was floral based oh. and kind of that light bulb <clears throat> moment where I was like, okay, I really don't want to talk about how I am angry at the government. <laughs> I want to, <laughs> I want to draw flowers. <laughs> I, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, and so I, that's, that. I think, probably where I went. <laughs> and <he was> like, <laughs> I like pretty flowers and animals and birds. <laughs> right. and, and that's what I want to focus on and share. Oh, that's really interesting. That, that sounds like a really helpful way for people to kind of let all of the out and then yeah. kind of not cover it up, like ignore it, but kind of feel as if they got it out and now can start fresh. Exactly. That sounds like a great, great avenue for that. And it's really cool that then that's what kind of took you in the direction of like, look, uh, I know a lot of people find peace and refreshment out in the natural world. So I can see how that would blend itself very well together of that, that kind of mental uh, refreshment as well as that scientific observation then as well. So do you, when you go out and you do your nature journaling, um, do you typically like just sit outside and draw what you see? Or do you have like a, I want to go nature journal this thing today? Or how does that process kind of work for you? It's kind of both. I I do go outside with a nature journal and I'm usually drawing flowers or plants, mm -hmm. things that are still. <laughs> um, yeah. And so I do, I... <laughs> I do yeah. draw those in the wild. Um, and at some point I would love to do that with birds or animals. Um, but I don't feel like I, I draw quickly enough to kind of sketch mm -hmm. the movement of animals. Um, I have started practicing that though, watching videos of birds and animals, um, kind of okay. to get used to drawing them while moving, but I haven't, I don't have yet the nerve, I guess, to go outside with the journal and actually draw the bird. <laughs> um, so I'm getting there. Um, so when I do when I do draw birds or animals, I do uh, draw from photographs. Okay. And 
and I try to, to use my own photographs as much as possible. Or if I find something that um, online from a photographer, I'll reach out and ask them for permission. Mm -hmm. Even though I don't sell anything, right. I still, you know, feel that it's important to ask permission, give that person credit if I'm posting it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, one day, hopefully I can go out and just draw all the birds <laughs> be cool. um, from life, but maybe I'll start with um, like herons or some something that's will stand still for a long time. The waiting birds that yeah. stay still for hours. Right. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree with that. I don't think I have drawn a bird from my from nature yet. I typically will take my camera out with me, quick snap a couple pictures. I might yeah. get the rough outline, like a very, very rough sketch of it onto the paper. But yeah, plants and flowers, they are not going to run away. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, definitely agree with that. Um, so when you do your your Instagram challenges, your art challenges, have those been inspired by your time with your nature journal, or are those kind of from your imagination? Like how do, how do you go about developing an art challenge for Instagram? Well, for February. So hard to say. It is. That really didn't start from nature journaling. It started, um, well, that challenge started in 2019. And the year prior to that, I had done an Inktober challenge Okay. during the month of October. And it was hosted by Creative Bug and an illustrator, Lisa Congdon. Um, she was uh, providing the lessons, a daily lesson for that challenge in October. That's and cool. so, yeah, it was really fun. She would, um, you know, it would be like a five minute class online um, where she would show how to draw, you know, like a snail or um, an eyeball or, right. you know, whatever, uh, you know, it's just kind of like a, a one subject thing. and. I think maybe like in the middle of that month, she drew a feather. Oh, it was with, it was with ink too for Inktober, right. Inktober. So she painted a feather and I thought this was just the most relaxing thing I've ever done painting a feather. I'd never done that before. And so I was thinking, you know, I would just like to paint feathers for a month, you know, focus on one subject, start small. I wasn't really yeah. ready to draw a bird at that time. Right. I mean, I was, this was really early in drawing. I, I didn't have any confidence in drawing. So I thought, gosh, a feather, anybody should be able to do that. Right. So I actually spent a lot of time that first month um, looking for feathers online, which is mm -hmm. difficult because birds are protected. Right. Um, you're not really allowed to own a feather right um so finding photos of different species of feathers proved to be a bit of a challenge I was able to find 28 nice there <laughs> um, you go. and so uh I thought well gosh okay there's 28 days in February it's a silly word play to yeah. make February I'm gonna do my own challenge so I put it out there and, you know, anybody who wanted to join me could, and I did, I think there were, you know, 
20 to 40 people I don't recall who joined and I was just like what is happening this is great um and I noticed that a lot of the people were posting actual birds you know based on the species of right. the feathers that I found and I also found out that a lot of feathers look alike um, for people who were drawing and you know using just pencil you know mm -hmm. black and white graphic all the all the feathers were kind of looking similar um, so I got a lot of feedback that people were saying why don't you expand this you know if you're going to do mm -hmm. this again um, and so the next year you know it became a bird challenge okay yeah that's really cool I um, I think I participated in it I know I did this past February and I did the February before, which is where I first learned about it. And I got so excited about it because at the time I had just finished an interpretive signage project for a local nature center on what birds are you going to see at the bird blind? So I made this big sign. So I was illustrating birds and I got really into drawing birds and learning more about them and so then you having this challenge out there I was like oh my gosh I get to continue drawing birds oh great time and I, I loved it because you could then tap on the little hashtag that you had assigned for it and I could see everybody's submissions and it was such a really cool way to kind of learn from other artists definitely and then this past year I loved that you you made it a little more conceptual or abstract. Uh, so what kind of then took you from saying, okay, the first year it was, here's the species list. And now then this past February, it was things like um, your spark bird or which I did the goldfinch for, or um, what was another one? There was another one that was like a, a bird from a story or a tale Right. Things like that. What inspired you to make kind of that different switch this year? Well, so the first time I did it, like I said, I was focused on feathers. So it was mm -hmm. very specific species that I could find. And then I think the next year that I did it, I chose all the species, but I think I picked a day or two. Well, I know there was one where I, I one of the prompts was, what is your national or regional bird? Okay. And then I think maybe like another one, like, what is your favorite bird? And on those days where I wasn't picking the species, those were my, those were my favorite days because I was learning about what other people's birds were or what, right. what was interesting to them. Um, and so I think the third year that I did it, I had three other people join me. It was the first year of lockdown. Oh, okay. Um, and so I, we had the four of us kind of, we all shared the responsibility of the species. So we came mm -hmm. up with seven different species each. Okay. Um, and again, we chose like, you know, what is your favorite bird day? And every time I did this, I was like, gosh, I really love seeing what other people's favorite birds are. Um, and so um, last year I had one co-host, Missy, from her hashtag or her um, Instagram handle is Project Parlor. And we shared the responsibility of picking the species again. And it was cool because a lot of our species were the same. We live in the same region. She is from Washington and I'm from California. So okay. the same birds are 
flying down the Pacific um, flyway there. And, and so we were like, okay, let's see what we have in common. That was really cool. And then this year, I really wanted to just focus on what are other people interested in? Um, and so I chose words. Most of them were based on color for the rainbow mm -hmm. for Pride Month. Mm -hmm. um, so like almost half of the month was colors. Oh, that's oh, that's so cool. I thought it was just an easy prompt, but it's cool that you did it for Pride Month. Yeah, that's I wanted fun. to tie in that. And I mean, I don't know if you if you had a chance to take the time to just scroll through the hashtag during yeah. those color days, but it was so fun to just scroll through and just see a rainbow of birds appear. Oh, that that was a really that fun is so segment. Cool. Um, and then you know Missy also helped with coming up with prompts mm -hmm. uh, for that for this year, and um, so I wanted to just I wanted other people to to pick the species, but I also knew that you know that's difficult. Not everybody who does these challenges is actually a birder. Mm -hmm. or that interested in birds they just want to draw and they want mm -hmm. a subject um so we decided to kind of pull in some people that we knew from the previous years who were interested in birds and ask them if they would come up with lists as well of species based on our prompts and so we had i think around a dozen or so people who did that and then they shared their species list so other people could just hop onto their list right or use ours, or just come up with their own species list. So it was very, there was just a ton of species that were included in this year's challenge. Um, so I really liked the way it turned out. It, I, at first I thought this is going to be confusing <laughs> to yeah. say like, you can do the, these words or you can do these birds or whatever, but it turned out people figured it out. And um, we got to learn about hundreds, maybe thousands of different birds. That's um, so cool. Yeah. It was really cool. And it was just, uh, it was super global. Um, mm. We were really blown away. Uh, there were over 100 people that participated this year. Wow. All over the world. We kept a list because we were just like, oh, somebody from Germany is joining us. Or, that's you know, so cool. It was really fun. Oh, that's, I, as the ecologist aspect, I, one of the things I loved about it was seeing the biodiversity because you really, you know, you weren't seeing the same 28 birds over and over and over again. It was yeah. everybody kind of on this day they're sharing. I mean, for red, I, I saw a lot of cardinals. Yes. But yeah. when you got to some of the broader, um, not that red isn't broad, but I cardinal really sticks in the mind as a red bird. Um, yeah. But there were some of the more broader or interpretive prompts. And just the wealth of birds that people learned was just so cool. And it was really neat for me to see like, hey, here's all, there's so many different types of birds in the world that may not be endemic to your region. So let's learn about them through this other person's work. And so it was a really great way to, like you mentioned, this kind of global community, get to see a global community of birds too. That was yeah. just so much fun. It was, yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the other things that I have noticed um, on top of you doing a lot of these more natural, um, the the feather art 
is that I saw in your bio that you had the uh, UC Cal Naturalist cert. Uh, can you talk about that process of how you obtained it and if it um, kind of impacts or inspires your art in any way, as well as then if, you know, I know you had mentioned this wasn't what you did for a job, but then it was something that you did kind of on the side just for yourself. Like, why did you do that? And why should other people be interested in stuff like that? Sure. Yeah. So uh, I think maybe I first saw this UC California naturalist. Um, gosh, maybe it was like maybe 10 years ago. I don't, I'm not sure how long the program has been in place. And I thought, well, this is cool. I, I love the idea of continuing education. Um, and I would like to learn more about um, my environment and the ecology surrounding me. And um, it just seemed like um, a good way to understand the environment mm -hmm. and to formalize learning about it. I mean, I can go out into the natural world, hiking and on and, and what have you, um, and learn about it on my own. But I thought this will be a, a nice opportunity to have a formalized uh, structure to learning about the the geology or, you know, the different animals that live in my area. Um, so I think it must, again, is during the pandemic, <laughs> um, I went online, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. Um, you know, I wasn't spending money on coffee. So right. I had a little extra cash, I could, you know, afford the class. And it comes with a certificate. And it's a very mm -hmm. intense program. You know, it's like, I think, 10 to 12 weeks, if I recall, oh, wow. where you meet once a week online um, for several hours um, at night. And then on the weekends, you have field trips um, in person. It, it was right around the time where things were starting to open up, you know, okay. um, and California locked down a little bit more, I think, than the East Coast, because we got hit pretty hard um, with COVID. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a year or so where people we're barely going outside. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I, I took this class and, uh, you know, I really learned a lot about the environment um, and the geology really was what I didn't know much about of the, the specific area where I live, which is the Mount Diablo. It's a mountain range that runs through um, the kind of the central area of California and, you know, I had been hiking around this area for years and seeing rocks, not knowing what they were called, yeah. seeing trees, not really knowing their names. And so this class really was able to pique my interest to, to learn more. You know, I, I've loved nature forever, but I never really bothered to learn the names of anything. You know, I can tell an oak from a pine tree, right. um, but this class really encouraged me to really delve more into that. Like, what kind of oak tree is this? Is this endemic to California? Is it endemic to this Pacific area in which I mm -hmm. live? Or, you know, is it in the southern part of the state? You know, so I really um, was able to, to learn more deeply about my environment through this class. 
um, I really do encourage anybody who has access to a class like this to do this. Um, there are uh, at least 15 different programs in California throughout the state. You know, it's all very much based on the region okay. um, for the class that you take. But if there's other states that offer something like this, I think it's a really great opportunity to to get more involved in in where you live. Right. Um, so um, I know Pennsylvania has something called the PA Master Naturalist Program, where it's the it sounds like a very similar kind of class setting, and you can go and do field trips. But then there's a volunteer component. Yes. And that is that part of what you did as well? Yeah. So there is a capstone project that is required, you know, to get the mm -hmm. certificate, basically like your final thesis, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, and you can base it on like a citizen science project or volunteering in a program like at a, a natural science museum or um, do like education interpretation at a regional park or a nature center. Oh, okay. So you get to choose your capstone project. And I chose citizen science. Um, basically, like, you know, I don't, I'm not super comfortable talking in public. So I knew I wouldn't want to do some sort of volunteer um, thing at a regional park. Mm -hmm. And so what I did for my capstone project was, um, and I tied it to my nature journal, actually. Oh, so cool. <laughs> So I documented my involvement in the the Great Backyard Bird Count, the GBBC, oh, yes. and so I described how you participate in in the citizen science portion of that, and then shared um, some of the species that I had drawn in my nature journal based on that four day experience, and so really, I guess my my whole point of my capstone project was that these are two of my interests that really feed each other. My interest yeah. in birds and being outside in nature and learning about it. And then going back and documenting that in my nature journal. Um, so, and then the, the journaling part makes me want to go back outside right. and learn more. So that was, um, that's how I completed my, my naturalist certificate was by by doing nature journaling through, through your birds that's so yeah. cool I love to hear when people get to blend blend their passions together because that is such a important part of who people are like we'll say oh I really identify with like for me the nature aspect and the artistic aspect like that's who I am so it's cool when you get to blend those two definitely that's awesome so have you done anything with that certification since, or was that something like you had mentioned, it was continuing education and to get you outside, or do you have future plans with it or? You know, I haven't done anything with it um, other than, you know, boast about it in my Instagram bio. Um, but there are some, some other possibilities, uh, like there's a stewardship course that they have um, that really is taking that that interest in nature and then how do you apply that to doing something that's productive so I, I might take that at some point um, we're in the my husband and I are in the process of relocating to another region okay. in California I'm that actually thinking of taking the class again in this new region oh, um, wow. because I'm going to be learning about new wildflowers and trees and animals that live in this other 
area of California that I'm not as familiar with. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, it might be good to take the course, you know, when once we move um, and then maybe do something more, maybe do the uh, the stewardship program as well so that I can actually apply what I'm learning to um, something that is, you know, providing some sort of benefit. At this right. point, it's really just benefited me. <laughs> Which is still a wonderful thing for yeah. people to be able to take just to benefit their own knowledge. Yeah. So when, when you say that you're moving from one region of California to another, and you're expecting to see some different species, um, how, how much as someone who's from the exact opposite side of yeah. this continent, how much does the ecology change within the different regions of California? It's hugely diverse. Oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, California is a very large state, um, just, you know, mm -hmm. measurement wise. Right. Um, but you know, there are deserts, there's the Pacific ocean, you know, along the entire mm -hmm. western half um there's a huge mountain range um i think this year and i don't know i definitely can't be quoted here but i i think that we've gotten more snow maybe than ever <laughs> um, oh, wow. in california um you know we have a mediterranean climate in the area that i live it's um there's i think five Mediterranean climates in the world, maybe seven. So here, obviously, in what we consider the Mediterranean, Greece and Italy and all that, right? In Africa and Australia, um, and so we have a very similar climate to like Spain, where yeah. it's super, super dry and hot, very hot in the summer, and then winters are generally wet and rainy and a little chilly. Um, so there's just all these different microclimates. Like if you right. go to the coast, um, to the ocean in the summer in July, expect it to be 50 degrees and pretty cold. <laughs> so oh. I go, I like to go to the, to the coast in July when it's super hot where I live inland to get away from the heat. Um, so, you know, you can go, um, you can travel like let's in July, we'll just use that as an example from, uh, Central California, where it's 115 degrees <laughs> max, oh, wow. but definitely over 100 degrees, you know, drive a couple hours to the ocean where it's 50 degrees. So wow. a lot of diversity um, in what is able to grow in these different environments. In fact, when I moved to this more central location I'm living now, all of my plants died. <laughs> Because oh, no. they, they were used to more of the coastal climate. Right. Um, and so now I'm going to be moving to uh, the foothill area of the Sierra Nevada mountain region. Oh, wow. Um, so we're going to be around 200, or I'm sorry, 2,000 foot elevation. Um, so there's just different animals. Like I noticed when we were looking at our house, there are gray squirrels um, all over okay. the area there where I live now, there are just like ground squirrels. Um, so, oh, wow. um, the birds there are all mountain birds, like chickadees, um, a lot of towhees, um, a lot of jays and woodpeckers where I live now. Um, I live in this Delta region, which is, um, a lot of inland water and rivers. And so we have a lot of 
you know, wading birds okay. and um, birds who, who can withstand 100 plus degree right. temperatures in the summer. Yes, yeah, right. so it's just, a, you know, different animals, different trees. You know, I'm going to be learning about pine trees going to the mountains. Right. So I'm really excited to to see what the differences are um, in this area that I'm that I've lived most of my life and to this new chapter in this new region. Oh, that is so fascinating. So here in Pennsylvania, I, I really like to think that there's a lot of diversity here. Um, you've got your wetland environments, your your mountain regions, your more, um, as you go farther west, because uh, Pennsylvania is also pretty big, but it's, it's chonky in a different way. It's like a fat state rather than a long skinny one yeah yeah um, very like so rectangular <laughs> yes so you know it takes hours and hours to get yeah. from one side to the other so a lot does change as you're driving along but just hearing your descriptions there's not a lot of like extreme temperature differences mm -hmm. from one area to another like even in the mountains I grew up in the Pocono mountains oh, nice. and now I am not in the mountains um I'm more in like that farmland area now oh, nice yeah the temperature difference there is like 10 degrees yeah you might notice that the the seasons are like a week or two behind in the Poconos just to, you know but nothing like a 50 to 60 degree difference and yeah, it's, it sounds like the eco regions are just so I, I need to go <laughs> I need to visit have you ever been to California I was, um, as a kid, we went to Lake Tahoe in oh, Nevada yeah. and we were in the Nevada side of that. And then, um, we drove around into California and hung out there for a couple, a couple of days ish. Yeah. But that is my only experience then with California was that one, one habitat. Yeah. There's a lot more. Yeah, it sounds like <laughs> I mean, it. <laughs> you could, you know, drive south um, and go to the desert, you know, the yeah. the whole eastern southern quadrant of the state is desert. Wow. <laughs> it's really amazing. Yeah. Oh, that is so cool. Definitely. The more I talk to people, the more I'm like, okay, I'm going to add this to my bucket list. And Definitely. This, yeah. I want to go here. That is so cool. So with, with that, if you had, and I know that this is kind of a, a hard question for, for many people, <laughs> uh, but whether someone is an artist or not, I know you mentioned that you thought drawing was kind of something you had to be good at, and then you learned, no, you can learn this. So wherever anyone is in their life or their journey with art, uh, why would you suggest that people engage with the activity of doing a nature journal? I think that nature journaling is a great way to support learning about your environment. Um, the more you learn about your environment, the more you're going to care for it. Yeah. And so drawing a subject really allows you this close examination of whatever you're drawing, but in nature journaling, you know, starting out with just say a flower, um, mm -hmm. the closer that you get to the flower in order to draw it, you're learning about the different components of what makes up a flower. Right. Um, and you're going to start asking question, 
questions about, you know, what are these little yellow things that are coming off of the flower? Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to start learning what are the names of these things? You know, it really uh, hopefully will pique your interest in, in what you're drawing and, and what, what is out there. Um, starting small with a flower and leading up into the whole environment that surrounds you. Um, just drawing in, in general is a really great way to kind of trigger those little gray cells, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it, I think it really teaches you to learn. Yeah, it kind of does. And, yeah. And appreciate, um, and appreciate the subject. Oh, that's fantastic. So for what it's worth, each person who can go out at some point and, Take your, take your little piece of paper, your little sketchbook, your sticky notepad, whatever you have, and just kind of document the stuff around you, the flowers, the trees. That'll get you to start taking note of all of the incredible diversity, the incredible ecosystems that we have around us. And as Michelle said, you'll be more inclined to care about what you have around you and its health and well-being. So with that, thank you so much for digging deeper into the natural world with the Art of Ecology and with Michelle here. Michelle, do you have anything that you would like to plug or share? I can add links to whatever you have to the podcast description for people to click on. Sure. Yeah. Um, I really just have my Instagram account. Um, the, it's also difficult to say. <laughs> <laughs> Mischievous Red Fox. It's cute. Yeah. <laughs> It's based on my initials. I don't know what I was thinking when I did it, but <laughs> um, so I don't have like a, a website or anything at this time, maybe in the future, but I do want to recommend some of the sites that I brought up um, today yeah. where I learned to draw really was by taking classes on Creative Bug okay. and Skillshare. Cool. Uh, Creative Bug, uh, the classes, I think you pay per month. I I, it's auto pay, so I don't oh. even know what it is, <laughs> but it's very, it's a very nominal fee. And then you have access to all kinds of classes, not just drawing, but, you know, sewing and embroidery and, and whatever. It's more kind of based in the craft okay. world. And then Skillshare, they have all kinds of classes too. I take a lot of like Excel classes, uh, oh, but in, okay. you know, yeah, in addition, in addition yeah. to, to drawing classes there. And then I highly recommend if you're interested in nature journaling or field sketching or drawing birds in particular, the Cornell Lab Bird Academy has a class on nature journaling that is taught by Liz Clayton Fuller, who is a wonderful illustrator. She um, is based out of Nashville and she is a bird lady too. Nice. Um, that's really her main focus and she's wonderful. And then there's a, a gentleman by the name of John Muir Laws, oh, who is a wonderful illustrator and teacher, and he provides classes online that are free. Um, and then at the end, you can make a donation or you can purchase items from his website. And that's actually where I've purchased my, my latest nature journal sketchbook is from his website and it's great. Oh, cool. It's the best journal I've ever used. So I highly recommend checking him out. Nice. Um, and then if you, if you're in California, 
Um, the UC California Naturalist site is just calnat, C-A-L-N-A-T dot U-C-A-N-R dot E-D-U. Okay. Um, and so, of course, you know, wherever you are, I would definitely look into just a naturalist program within your state or region. Yeah. And then the last thing, I just want to bring up the app iNaturalist. Oh, yes. We love iNaturalist. Yeah, it's great. And then there's <laughs> another one um, called Seek, I think. Yes. Isn't it Seek? Yeah, that is also by iNaturalist. Um, these are really fun apps where you can, when you're out in nature and you're like, what is this leaf <laughs> or whatever, yeah. take it, take a photo, pop it onto the app and see if you're able to identify it just based on the photo. And then naturalists will see those, those things that you post and then comment and provide, uh, you know, feedback as to whether they agree with you. Um, and this is really how I've learned a lot about different species, um, just by posting these photos. Yes, on I love iNaturalist. It's a great app, yeah. It is. And just a, a little extra note with iNaturalist, because I can, I've taught classes on iNaturalist. I can rant and rave about it for forever. Uh, but it also does help um, citizen and community science sort of because of this data collaboration effort, scientists who are trying to gather data about things like population movement or densities can go in to iNaturalist. And those who have this app, you may notice a little, a little R or an RG in your picture, and that means it's research grade. So scientists can go in and filter and pull all of that data which helps them because scientists don't really get a lot of funding to collect data. Right. So when we take pictures and we're learning, I use it for my kids for photo classes. We'll learn how to take pictures of things. And then we'll say, Hey, now we're actually helping scientists gather data. So I just, I love it. It's so really cool. And yeah. I've actually, I've gotten a lot of feedback from other people on that use that app where they'll, They'll comment and they, mm -hmm. they'll say something like, hey, you know, if you can take a picture, like of a flower, whatever, get right. at the base and like, they'll tell me how to take these photos in order to get them better information, better data for, yeah. for their research. Um, so there's a lot, of, it's a really great community. There's a lot it of is. feedback. Oh, I love it. I'm so glad you mentioned it. So, and all of these things can be found online as well. So like the John Muir Laws, uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, I'll post the UC Naturalist, uh, California Naturalist. iNaturalist is an app you can get it on your smartphone, but you can also have it on your desktop as well. Right. Because um, I know I, I mix how I take photos, like I'll upload stuff from my camera and stuff from my phone. So the stuff on my phone goes directly to the app where the stuff on the camera. So there's a, there's a process you can get really involved um, yeah. or, or you can be passive. <laughs> yeah. It's for everyone. <laughs> it is. Excellent. So I will post all of those links in the podcast description as well. Uh, but thank you for digging deeper here. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please support, review, and continue to follow along to explore more of the wonderful ecosystems that we are a part of. You can find The Art of Ecology on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, all the things at The Art of Ecology. And I will see you next time on For What It's Earth.